This is the EWN Podcast Network. Welcome to Late Boomers, our podcast guide to creating your third act with style, power, and impact. Hi, I'm Kathy Worthington. And I'm Mary Elkins. Join us as we bring you conversations with successful entrepreneurs, entertainers, and people with vision who are making a difference in the world. Everyone has a story, and we'll take you along for the ride on each interview, recounting the journey our guests have taken to get where they are, inspiring you to create your own path to success. Let's get started. Hello, I'm Kathy Worthington. Welcome to our latest episode of Late Boomers. Today we are featuring as our special guest, Roy Osing. Roy is a former president, CMO, and entrepreneur with over 40 years of successful and unmatched executive leadership experience in every aspect of business. As president of a major data and internet company, his leadership and audacious, unheard of ways took the company from its early stage to $1 billion in annual sales. And I'm Mary Elkins. Roy is a blogger, content marketer, and mentor to young professionals. As an accomplished business advisor, he is the author of the no-nonsense book series, Be Different or Be Dead. Welcome, Roy. Thank you very much. I'm delighted to be here and grateful to have a chance to speak with you guys and your audience. So thanks again. Thank you. We're delighted to have you. We want to ask you about your background. How did you start out and then find yourself on this career path you're on now? Yeah, wow. So I've got a very a long career path. Uh, I've, my journey has been over four decades when I started working in the business world in an environment that was changing very dramatically. It was a telecom world back in the days when it was highly regulated and it was a monopoly, but it was going quickly through a transition to a competitive world. And I kind of surmised early on that we were just not ready, that the traditional things that we were were doing um, just simply weren't gonna work. And so I set upon a journey to break away from tradition, if you will, to break away from the way things were and to be different. What occurred to me is the secret to actually winning in any environment is, is, is actually being able to distinguish yourself in a very unique way that makes sense for the people you serve, i.e. your customers. And so I began this journey of looking for ways to be different in business, in my personal life, in my career, et cetera, et cetera, and making a point of saying, look it, I mean, if you're, if you're the same as somebody else, all you're doing really is increasing the herd by one. And that's not (laughs) where you want to go, right? Being in the herd is like comfortable and it's kind of sweaty and, but you know, that it's not very gratifying. And so I started that very, very young. And um, I kept at that through my career. My career was like around the organization and up kind of thing. And I was fortunate to be able to do that. Um, And so I left my quote real job about 20 years ago, actually, and uh, decided that I was going to take what I learned, what I practiced, what I was successful at, and actually give it back. And so this process is about talking about not what works in theory, but what worked in the real world where you have real people, real biasness, real political stuff, real emotions, real passion to actually talk to people like we're going to do today 
about it and why it's a journey that I think other people need to be on. Mm, that's great. I love that. Yeah. Can you can you elaborate a little more behind on the idea behind be different or be dead? Yeah. Um, thank you. That's that's a great lob. Um, my observation was that um, successful people, successful organizations are really uh, different in a way that that matters to the people they serve. Like in a business sense, it's like if you're different from the your competitor in a way that customers care about, then you've got a huge advantage, okay? Because people will notice you, people will pay attention to you, and people will choose you if your value proposition is different and compelling and relevant enough. They will choose you. The problem I'm seeing, and this is kind of like what I describe mediocrity in business, is businesses, even though the world is so much more competitive, customers so much more powerful, they're not getting any better at articulating why customers should buy from them as opposed to their competition. And, and you know, the example I use is, and I call it claptrap. Companies use claptrap and claptrap is stuff like, we are the best, we're better, we're number one, we're the market leader, you know, we got most employees, we've been here 150 years, all those things which you may think are true, but are absolutely meaningless in terms of, of, of articulating what makes you special in a way customers care about. So I had to talk a lot about that and I created my own, uh, my own uh, solution to that problem. But if people aren't able, if organizations particularly aren't able to dis distinguish themselves that way, they die. And that's really the, the genesis of be different or be dead. You know, if you're not different, you're dead or soon will be. So, you know, you need to figure it out. Well, what, what might make someone different these days? Well, I mean, that's the challenge, isn't it? I mean, yeah. that's, that's, that's how I help organization people discover it. And I've created a whole process for doing it. And it's different for every organization. Right. There's no formula for this. Right. That's the other thing I keep saying to people. This is not shrink wrapped. We'll sit down for 48 hours and we'll create a strategy for you uh, with what I call an only statement that actually declares how you are unique. And it's different from everybody else. OK, but one of the things it doesn't do, it doesn't rely on aspirations, you know, like we're in business to save the planet. Really? How is that supposed to help me? decide on who in the heck, you know, to, to actually do business with relative to their competition. So right now the world is full of claptrap. It's full of aspirational thinking. And what I'm trying to do is bring that down into tangible, uh, measurable um, descriptors, okay, and declarations of what, make, what, what makes people unique. And, and the tool I create is called the only statement, is we are the only ones who, it's not we're the best, we're not better. It's we are the only ones who do something. Uh -huh. Okay. That's it. At the end of the day, that clarifies for everybody who you are and how you're unique. And that's the kind of process that I'm using with a lot of people. Like I've got examples of, of only statements that I've created, help businesses create. But, but the point is they're different for each and every one of them because they're different organizations. Right. What's your latest book, Audacious Unheard of Ways, all about? Love the title. Yeah, well, yeah. it's my seventh book, and it's just like more, it's an updated version, actually, to be honest, 
of the first one I wrote in 2009, which was called Be Different or Be Dead, Your Business Survival Guide. A couple points I want to make. The content, a lot of people have said to me, well, Roy, why are you, why are you still doing that? You know, isn't the content getting stale? And I say, no, uh, quite frankly, the alternative or the uh, option is the, the uh, opposite is true, is that the, 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 the notion of be different is even more important today than it was 12 years ago. Okay, it's more compelling, etc. And so what I decided to do is, is create uh, a new version of be different or be dead new content like i learn more about my content every time we have a conversation like i'm having with you guys i'm getting flashes of stuff you know it's just kind of interesting and so this book is an updated and expanded version of the work that i've been doing simply from 2009. i chose the subtitle audacious unheard of ways i took a startup to a billion as a way of describing the output of the things that i did because the reality was everything in the book, right? The practical proven things that I did actually led to taking a relatively early stage business to a business to a billion in sales. And, and I get goosebumps, man. Every time I think about this, what we were able to achieve, it gives me goosebumps. I mean, imagine, I'm getting them right now. Imagine <laughs> a relatively young company, right? And, and with an opportunity like I had to be president and actually get this business going, get people around me, light their fires and take it to a billion. I mean, it's amazing that we were able to do that. So that's what the new book is, is kind of like it narrows in on, all right, you want to have substantial growth, may not be a billion, but if you want to grow rapidly and if you want to grow substantially, here are the things that work for me. That's kind mm. of what it's about. That's great. Sounds like you were an audacious leader. <laughs> so yeah. what is audacious leadership? What do you mean by it? Yeah, so it's it's all about kind of what I referred to earlier. It's about the notion of breaking away, breaking away from tradition, breaking away from conformance, breaking away from compliance, breaking away from formulas, literally turning everything that you know that people promulgate as the way to do things upside down and the whole notion of being different is one of those the only statement is another example because nobody else out there talks about the only statement is a way to differentiate yourself i'm the only one that talks about the only statement mm -hmm. um and other other crazy things that that uh, that that I, I believe very very strongly and it's like we should be looking for differences in people, whereas marketing tends to look for similarities. Right? The whole issue of market segmentation is hogwash because it looks for similarities. We should be looking for similarities. We should be looking for differences because that's where economic opportunities come from, not, not how, when people are the same. So there's that notion. I'm a contrarian. You know, Typically what I will do is if I see the way the herd's going, I do a 180. I say, well, what if we did a 180? Because I'm not going to be part of that herd. I'm not going to increase the common denominator by one like everybody else. And so I'm kind of one of these guys that I just, I get on the edge. I want to get on the edge. I want to stay on the edge, where it's sharp, okay, where it's gutsy and where opportunities are. And so I actually fly in the face of most traditional ways of thinking. Let me give you an example. I mean, people talk about leadership and delegation which I think is a joke, right? I'm the master of micromanagement. 
And of course, everybody out there is going to go, wow, no, no, you shouldn't micromanage. Man, you should delegate. Wait a minute. Leadership is all about figuring out where to put your personal fingerprints, where to put your fingerprints. You can't delegate certain things. And yet leaders do under the guise of, well, we shouldn't micromanage, so we should delegate it all. I'm not one of those people. I believe there are certain things that make sense, repetitive tasks, whatever, operational things that maybe you can delegate, but strategic things, no, 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 no. They're owned by the audacious leader. This person is in the trenches with the front line. They're filthy, dirty every day because they live with them. Why? Because when they do that, the plan gets executed better and performance goes through the roof. And isn't that what we're here to do as leaders? Enhance mm -hmm. the performance of the business. And so... I was all, I'm all about frontline people. I'm about executing, not planning. I'm about going against the flow as opposed to going with the flow. I'm about micromanaging. I'm about do it yourself. All of the things that interestingly are exactly the opposite of what modern academia talks about when they talk about leadership. And I'm hard on schools. I don't think they go far enough. I'm not saying they're wrong. They just don't go far enough. I see mm -hmm. kids coming out of school wanting to be leaders and they are absolutely at a disadvantage because of what they've been taught. They've been taught that formulas apply to business, formulas apply to human behavior. Not any humans I've seen. <laughs> so that's, I think you get the idea. That's who Roy yeah. is as an audition. That's, that's the audacious leader. <laughs> and what simple things do you advise clients to do to improve the customer experience? Yeah, well, the first thing is you better hire people that like humans, right? Like if you don't like homo sapiens, then I don't think you're going to be very good at providing uh, memorable customer experiences. I mean, you know yourself, right? You go into a store, you know when there's somebody there who really doesn't want to be near you, even though they have a job as a server or something else mm -hmm. or a clerk, they would they, they, there's no eye contact. They would rather be taking inventory. But here they are, right? They're in a, in, a, in a serving environment and they're incapable of doing it. I believe that the, the, the single thing that prevents organizations from providing what I would call superlative customer service and memorable experiences is recruiting people that love human beings, okay? They don't like them, they love them. They have it in their DNA to take care of their fellow person. All right. And you can't teach that, by the way. You can't teach somebody to love somebody else. You can teach them to smile. You can teach them to have a smile in their voice, which is a lot of customer service uh, courses do. But you cannot teach them to love humans. Why do you need to love humans? Because it's through the engagement process that people feel good about an experience or not. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so the biggest piece. Of, of work that I did is I completely changed the whole recruiting process for my, for my business, right? Where I actually downplayed what they know and upplayed how they felt because oh. people buy on the basis of feelings and passion and emotion, right? And so I can teach somebody that what, what an internet service is. What I can't teach them is to love the customer and have empathy for the customer on the end of the line. I can't teach them that. So I recruited for them and I've, if you're interested i have a method that i that i actually use yeah. it's called recruiting yeah. goosebumps it's it's goosebumps goosebumps so mm -hmm. i'm an outrageous leader and i hired people that gave me goosebumps so here's how the interview went 
right? Mm -hmm. So I'd say, so Kathy, what I'd like to know is, do you love humans? And what you would do is lean forward and you go, oh, okay, I, this has got to be a trick question, but I'm not really sure where this dude's going. <laughs> but, but I think the right answer is yes. And so you say, yes, Roy, I, I, it's true, I love humans. So my next question is, okay, share with me a story, right, that would show me how much you love people. Now, this is the one that differentiated the ones who are in their heads from the ones who are in their heart. Right. And so what would happen is either I would get an answer from somebody that, that, that knew that the answer was yes, but the story was kind of superficial and it didn't really move me at all. And I'd usher them out the door, but the one that has the DNA strand in their, in their makeup to care for people, they would give me a story. I'm getting goosebumps right now. Just talking about it. They would give me a story that was so personal, so rich, so emotional, so passionate that I would sit there and I'd go, oh, no, I would get goosebumps. That's the person I would hire. Mm -hmm. And I would wow. teach him the business. Can you well, imagine? I got goosebumps just talking about goosebumps, you guys. Come on. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's interesting. <laughs> yeah, we all know the differences in the places that we shop between the, the stores that recruit those people and the stores that don't because they all come to mind when i think of a shopping experience for instance yeah or, or a restaurant experience yep. yeah 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 and and working in a company with people if you're with people who don't relate or can't relate that's hard to do because you, yep. you, yep. you really need when a company at least when i was working with one you work as a team you're, you're like an organ like part of a body so that's really really interesting um can you elaborate on some other things other audacious things that you did to make your organization grow and soar yeah and it's so so first of all the biggest part of my leadership intent was to drive the performance of the business okay and that's really what my personal drive was behind getting to a billion in annual revenue. The way I chose to do it was not to have the efficacy of the plan pristine, because I don't believe that you can have a perfect plan. My focus, we can come back to that if you want, but my focus was on execution. Okay, so I would get the plan just about right, spend 20% of my time uh, articulating the strategy, and then 80% of my time trying to figure out how I'm gonna execute it. So I, spend all my time in the workforce with frontline people to try and figure out how to do a better job of executing one one sort of tactic was what i eventually uh, named cleanse the internal environment and what that meant was if i can grease the skids on the inside for people to do their jobs better then what would happen they would do a better job of what executing strategy and guess what would happen performance would go up, we get closer to the billion. So I did two things, okay, that, that were really, <laughs> they were really super fun and they were really super effective. One was called Kill Dumb Rules. <laughs> uh, killing Dumb Rules was all about getting rid of the rules and policies and procedures that really annoyed customers and made the frontline people's jobs extremely difficult. Okay, so the, so the logic was simple. You get rid of those rules or change them and make them at least customer friendly. The transaction gets more effective. Execution goes up. Performance goes up. Okay, that's nice. So that, 
I would show up. We had we had killing dumb rules contests. We would have <laughs> prizes for the person that came up with the stupidest rule we had, and we and we killed it. Now I have to declare my fellow executives were a little chagrined over the fact that I was using language like killing and dumb <laughs> rules, right? Because they reason how, but but we're really being sort of negative on ourselves, Roy. And I said that's exactly the point. Why do we think we're so smart? Yeah, you know, when we got all these rules that 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 annoy customers, they can't be good rules. We need to be honest, step up, call them stupid, and do something with them. Anyways, what I would a my... dumb rule be? Well, there was, there was a whole bunch of them. This 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 one rule was was um, um, if if we had a client right in northern British Columbia that moved to Vancouver, they would have to establish and to say they've been with us for like twenty five years and a regular good paying customer, they would have to reapply uh, for service and go through all the credit checks in Vancouver. Now, you can't tell me that that makes any sense whatsoever. And yet it was a rule until I got a hold of it, right? It was a stupid rule. And the process I use is I get frontline people. They were doing the dumb, they were entering the dumb rules competitions and we would have <laughs> The communications out there and we have the the, the dumb the, the the champion dumb rule killer it was just amazing i'm picturing party hats and champagne <laughs> so what, so what yeah. i would do is i would i had t-shirts made up right and i had mm -hmm. white t-shirts right with with dumb rules on the front and back with a big circle around it with an x through it and i would wear the wear the t-shirt when i visited uh, frontline people. And you got to realize that my organization grew to about 10,000 people. So it was a large organization, right? Roy would show up in the workplace with his dumb rules t-shirt on. And if anybody didn't know what that was, it gave me an opportunity to explain what this was all about and get them, right? Capture them, get their fire going. And so that was one of them. The other one was cut the crap, which was sort of like that. It was like... <laughs> just like getting rid of this, the grunge and the bureaucracy in the organization that was preventing people from doing their job. So we had cut the crap competitions. Uh -huh. That was another one. You know, this Boy. has a little side benefit <laughs> yeah. because it causes all the people working with you to learn the rules in the first place because there might be some good ones. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it forces them to like really look at what are the rules? What's he yep. talking about? <laughs> so. Well, and and for sure, there there were a lot of, I don't, I don't want to imply that 90% of what we were doing was stupid, but that's yeah. not the point. The point is that if if three percent of the things we were doing was stupid, were stupid, that three percent were probably causing most of the problems. Yeah. So get rid of those. It's a typical Pareto distribution, right? Get rid of those things, uh -huh. and we could just see what happened was people's chests would expand. You know, they got degrees of freedom given to them, and their performance just went through the roof. As did uh -huh. we get closer to the billions. And I also want to ask you. As CMO, what did you do to make your marketing and sales teams remarkable? Besides this, well, other yeah, the first, one of the yeah, a couple of crazy little things. Like I have this thing that 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 said even even in the day, uh, people's needs have all been have been met for years and years and years. Right, what they needed, um, and I I concluded that I didn't want to compete in the needs space because it was really competitive and tended to be price price sensitive, right? Just because of the nature of, of competition. People needed internet service. 
they surmised, but they didn't buy from one company versus another based on the fact that they needed internet. They bought on other things, how they felt when they did, when they did business with the company, et cetera. And so I created this, this challenge, which was uh, associated with defining what people craved, not what they needed. And so the marketing and sales, I said, your job is to figure out what people crave, because I knew that that segment was having less competition and would be less price sensitive than anything else, right? And so we started on that. And basically, I mean, it, it was figuring out what was going on with the person holistically, okay? And using that as a basis for defining what they craved. What was their life all about? What, you know, what, what did they do when they weren't at work? That was the source of what people mm -hmm. craved. And so I learned stuff like, you know, a, a chief executive in a major hotel downtown Vancouver loved these fancy phones. Remember these old fancy phones we used to have, the candlestick phones? I mean, we're going back 20 years or so. He loved those things. He loved them for the office, but he never got one. And so one time we had a major service disruption. We put him out of business for about four hours, probably cost him a hundred grand. But I took one of these phones down to apologize. And I apologized to him and I said, by the way, I said, I'm really sorry to put you out of business. But look, here's a check for 60 grand or whatever. I know it's not the whole thing, but here's a check for 60,000. Here's a phone, which I know you loved. He looks at me and he goes, that's okay, Roy. Everybody makes mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> Boom, I nailed it. This guy talked us up for like months and years after that. The whole thing was based on what did he crave? What did he desire? What, what, did, he, what, what did he covet? right? And it had nothing to do with his telephone service, nothing to do with that at all. So one of the things we try to do is get marketing and sales to be uh, crave hunters. And we, yeah. we measured them, uh, their performance plan. Okay. I said, well, okay, how many cravings did you identify in the last six months? And it only took me asking the question once to make the point that you better not come in here again with an answer that said, I didn't find any. <laughs> so, yeah, because it means you didn't ask them. Didn't ask them. Right. You know, people would say to me, well, that's kind of silly. I said, look, you don't ask them what they crave. You ask them meaningful <laughs> questions that expose their innermost desires. And we would role play on that. And it was a, it was fun and it was a learning experience. And it was clearly breaking new ground. And I don't know what they're doing now, but I've been away for a while. But I do know that the experience with my old company uh, from a service point of view is definitely improving and nothing improves overnight, but definitely on the right path with the, with the CEO there. Uh -huh. Oh, I love that. Um, you had mentioned the mistakes businesses make, but what about people? What are the biggest mistakes they make in their careers? Uh, you know what? It's, it's, it's kind of all related to this be different a mantra because um, people don't pay enough attention to differentiating themselves from other people who are all vying for the same jobs. Okay, like I, I used to say, what makes you special? Why should I even look at your resume? What makes you so unique to earn the right to be sitting here talking to me as president if I'm interviewing somebody? And people would stumble over that. They would tell me about their, their great claptrap interpersonal skills, right? Their great claptrap conflict management skills, yeah, all the stuff that, that they were taught in school. The problem is school didn't equip them, doesn't equip them in a way to actually be effective 
in coming up with a unique value proposition that is meaningful to employers and enticing to be hired. They're absolutely in, in a state of, of, of quandary because they're not equipped. And so I keep saying, look, the first thing you need to do is you need to sit down and develop a career plan with an only statement. You need to be the only one that does what you do. And here's Roy Osing's only statement, which you probably read on Podmatch. It says, Roy is the only author, entrepreneur, and executive leader who delivers practical and proven, audacious, unheard of ways to produce high-performing businesses and successful careers. Now, the fact of the matter is nobody else out there talks about audacious ways. Nobody else out there talks about goosebumps. And so that's my piece. And what I say to people Uh is you need to figure out what your piece is. And it's not being different for the sake of being different, right? That's not what I'm saying. It's you need to be different in a way that matters to people. And so in my case, what matters to them is building a successful business, building a successful career. So what I'm saying is the stuff that worked for me is truly unique. And if you trust me and you apply this to you, then it will work for you too. Boom. And how do you build an amazing brand? <laughs> well, that's it. It's all based, it's all yeah. based around being different. It might, it, for me, it was everything. Everything I did, okay, mm-hmm. ended up being a component of that. And, and again, you, you have to develop a context for this. A lot of people will develop a brand based on what they think is important to them. Well, that's not a bad place to start, but eventually it has to be about what people perceive of you. And is that consistent with your strengths? Okay. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't happen overnight. There's too many textbooks on branding, right? There's there's, There's too many textbooks that says, you know, it melts in your mouth, not in your hands. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> There's too many textbooks that talk about, you know, we're in business to save the planet. There's too much of that. You need to make it really specific about you and who you are trying to serve in your life. And if it's in a job, it's all right, who are you trying to serve in your job? If you're a, if you want to be a marketing executive, you better figure out what the CEO is all about. You better figure out what the strategy of the organization is about. You better figure out what the sales channels want and start there. But okay. people don't do that. They go to Google, right? They type in boilerplate template and up comes, right? A resume. And guess what they do? They fill it in. <laughs> And so what happens is I used to get these and my eyes would glaze over. I would slip into a coma when I read these things. (laughs) I'm not kidding you. I mean, they were about as interesting as watching, you know, worms in a garden. I'm I'm being, you know, uh, I'm being intentionally obtuse on this because it's so wrong and it's, we need to get people's attention. There's a whole bunch of stuff in the book that talks about career planning. I want people to go and have a look at that. I mean, it's uh-huh. stuff that worked for me. It's not an academic treatise on career development. It's uh-huh. stuff that worked for one guy that happened to get lucky and be successful building a business to a billion. Why wouldn't you check that out? Uh-huh. And so I say to academics, um, it's not that what you're saying is wrong, it's just that it doesn't go far enough. Right? How you approach career development is lacking precision of practicality. And I'm the precise guy around practicality, right? Like I don't need any more blue oceans, guys. I just don't. 
right? There's too much theory out there. What we need is practical advice. And I'm a practical advice mentor. I'm a guy that's been there and done it. We need more of those people out there. Wow. I have to ask you a personal question. You don't have to answer it. <laughs> but I'm curious how you personally developed your own brand based on what you crave. Well, I, I guess, uh, yeah, I honestly think it was my mother's fault. Huh? Your mother's fault? I think it was my mother's doing. Um, Go on. I had a mother who was part of a family of 13. Oh. And uh, back in the day. And so she had this feisty, edgy, competitive survival spirit. And it, I didn't know it at the time because she and I got did not get along during the time that I grew up, right? Because we were, I guess, too much alike. My dad, on the other hand, was kind of like, he was he was kind of my antithesis he was you know sort of calm and cool and collected but my mom wasn't i think i think i have her dna and i had it i've had it forever and it manifested itself in various ways it manifested itself in uh arguments and fights with her it manifested itself in school where my report card said at times i was arrogant because i wanted to get everything right and done quickly so i could get on to other stuff and it manifested itself in, in my career where I was viewed as a non-compliant individual. Like I didn't really care about what the rules said. I wanted to figure out what was right. And so I had this thing, an operational sort of modus operandi, I think with me my whole life. And it it's in my blood. I feel it, it oozes out in everything I say. I probably overstepped the bounds of um, uh, what is right, what is wrong and and, and political correctness now and then that's just who I am and I and, and and it's okay for me I'm I'm happy in my skin I just I just am trying to get people to recognize there's an other road to go here you don't have to stay on the path that everybody else is on it's irrespective of what you've been taught at school and and what what people tell you around you like people feel uncomfortable with me and the reason they do, and my wife will say this, Roy, you really made that person uncomfortable. And I say, well, that's not my problem. <laughs> it really isn't. I'm not here to make you comfortable. In fact, I'm here to make you uncomfortable. Why? Because yeah. discomfort leads to action. Ah, I action love that. leads to execution. Execution leads to performance. And performance gets me my billion. Mm -hmm. It's all written in the stars. Roy's stars tells it all. That's great. You you mentioned earlier that organizations were basically mediocre these days. Can you explain that a bit? Yeah. First of all, total disclaimer. I'm, I, I say a lot of things to get people's attention to ask me that question. Um, I mean, there's a lot of organizations doing a lot of things right. But my generalization is what we don't do a good enough job uh, at is, is declaring how we're special. I go back to this whole notion of giving people reasons to do business with you versus your competitor. We fall woefully short of that, generally speaking, as a business. We use way too much claptrap, way too much aspirations to try and define what makes us unique. And the reality is it's so airy-fairy, it means nothing. Doesn't help, okay? So I try and push people over to, to this whole only statement world that I've created as a tool that will help them do that. And so, yeah, it's that. And, and seriously, I haven't seen since my first book, I haven't seen any change at all. None. Mm 
Mm. None whatsoever. In fact, what I say to, to all my, my, my podcast hosts is I want you guys to draft your only statement because you, you live in a very competitive world in podcasting. I want you to draft your only statement and send it to me and we'll have a conversation and maybe I can help you build it. And guess what they're doing? They're doing it. <laughs> Wonderful. Wonderful. Yeah. And talk a little bit more. You say that aspirations should never be used to define a competitive advantage. And what does that mean? Well, it means that they're not specific enough. An aspiration is something that you intend. An aspiration is more of a dream. Well, you can't use dreams and intentions, what you intend to do, as a way to define how you're unique. You're unique based on who you are today and what you do that's different from somebody else in a way that, that people care about. That's what the only statement does. It drives you down. Like saying that, that we're in business to save the planet, which by the way, is an, is an aspiration that a very well-known company uses, isn't really helpful. Oh, it may be helpful to a leader who wants to use that aspiration as a way to declare values that the organization should aspire to. Okay, that may be legitimate, but in terms of defining how you're different from the next clothing manufacturer, it's meaningless. Okay, it's people don't buy on that. They buy on here today, what I see, value for money, et cetera. And so they're helium filled promises with, is the way I describe them. Um, they get, get overused. Marketing sh is shameful the way they use claptrap and helium filled stuff and aspirations. They should be ashamed of doing that because it adds nothing to a competitive value proposition. I mean, I've looked at universal selling propositions, which are allegedly unique declarations of, of competitive advantage. And they're not, they're, they're aspirational. Hmm. Okay, so I say, take your aspiration, tuck it away somewhere in your, in your left brain, your left hemisphere, okay, and just leave it there. Now go discover what people crave and how are you gonna satisfy those cravings in a unique, compelling way? That's what I want organizations to do. That's the journey and that's the challenge of achieving and defining competitive advantage. It's not in an aspirational sense at all. That and, sounds you know, like a great takeaway for our listeners today. Is there anything else you'd like to add to that? <laughs> no, that's, that's pretty well it. Although I will say that, um, that the way to do this is tomorrow or this afternoon uh think of an aspiration that has guided you and throw it away if it's if it's being used to describe your uniqueness in a competitive advantage sort of way don't throw it away just put it up on the left hand corner of your desk and think about another way and go to the book and look up the only statement and say May, how can i use that to be a little more specific because that's all it is. It's taking this, it's taking this aspiration at the 50,000 foot level and making it more granular down to the, when you're nose to nose with the client. And when you open your mouth, they say, what businesses are you in? What you say is, well, we're the only ones who <laughs> that's the answer, right? That's the uh -huh. answer. I want to, I'd love to see people uh, get to more often. That's great. Thank you so much, Roy. Our guest today on Late Boomers has been Roy Osing, audacious leader, author, blogger, and business advisor, and more. Please visit his website for more info, b 
BeDifferentOrBeDead.com and on Instagram at Unheard of Ways. Thanks so much again, Roy. You're very welcome. I enjoyed it. You did a great job, you guys. Awesome. Thank, Thank you. you. We want to remind our listeners also to follow us on Instagram at I am Kathy Worthington and at I am Mary Elkins and at Late Boomers. Drop us a line on our website, please. It's called lateboomers.biz, B-I-Z. And please subscribe to our Late Boomers podcast on your favorite platform. Thanks again, Roy. You're very welcome. Thank you for joining us on Late Boomers, the podcast that is your guide to creating a third act with style, power, and impact. Please visit our website and get in touch with us at lateboomers.biz. If you would like to listen to or download other episodes of Late Boomers, go to ewnpodcastnetwork.com. This podcast is also available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and most other major podcast sites. We hope you make use of the wisdom you've gained here and that you enjoy a successful third act with your own style, power, and impact. Calling all speakers. eWomen Network has speaking engagements all over North America that must be filled. Are you a gifted messenger, author, expert, or successful entrepreneur that can help women entrepreneurs grow their businesses? Our mission is to help 1 million fulfilled women each achieve $1 million in annual revenue. If you're a speaker that can help women prosper, go to eWomenNetwork.com and sign up as a pro member of our Speakers Network. That's eWomenNetwork.com. Have you ever asked yourself this question, why is it so hard to make a buck? (laughs) I know I have. Hi, I'm Sandra Yancey, founder and CEO of eWomen Network. What I have discovered after going from the brink of bankruptcy to running a multi-million dollar award-winning business is this. You can't build a million dollar dream hanging around minimum wage mindsets. My mission is one million women entrepreneurs generating one million dollars in annual revenue. So here's what I've done. I've created the mother of all entrepreneur success programs that you can access online on your time. It's called Monetize Me Now. It's a seven module online course that is 100% my success formula covering mindset, mission, management, motivation, marketing, and measure. Come on, take my hand and I'll show you the way to learn to earn flowing revenue for your business. Visit monetizemenow.com for details. Thanks for listening. This is the EWN Podcast Network.